story eight of christmas stories by charles dickens this librivox recording is in the public domain story eight the holly tree three branches part two second branch the boots where had he been in his time he repeated when i asked him the question lord he had been everywhere and what had he been bless you he had been everything you could mention almost seen a good deal why of course he had i should say so he could assure me if i only knew about a twentieth part of what had come in his way why it would be easier for him he expected to tell what he hadn't seen than what he had ah a deal it would what was the curiousest thing he had seen well he didn't know he couldn't momently name what was the curiousest thing he had seen unless it was a unicorn and he had seen him once at a fair but supposing a young gentleman not eight year old was to run away with a fine young woman of seven might i think that a queer start certainly then that was a start as he himself had had his blessed eyes on and he had cleaned the shoes they run away in they was so little that he couldn't get his hand into em master harry walmer's father you see he lived at the elmses down away by shooter's hill there six or seven miles from lunnon he was a gentleman of spirit and good-looking and held his head up when he walked and had what you may call fire about him he wrote poetry and he rode and he ran and he cricketed and he danced and he acted and he done it all equally beautiful he was uncommon proud of master harry as was his only child but he didn't spoil him neither he was a gentleman that had a will of his own and a eye of his own and that would be minded consequently though he made quite a companion of the fine bright boy and was delighted to see him so fond of reading his fairy books and was never tired of hearing him say my name is norval or hearing him sing his songs about young may moons is beaming love and when as he adores thee has left but the name and that still he kept the command over the child and the child was a child and it's to be wished more of em was how did boots happen to know all this why through being under gardener of course he couldn't be under gardener and be always about in the summer time near the windows on the lawn a mowing and a sweeping and weeding and pruning and this and that without getting acquainted with the ways of the family even supposing master harry hadn't come to him one morning early and said cobbs how should you spell nora if you was asked and then began cutting it in print all over the fence he couldn't say he had taken particular notice of children before that but really it was pretty to see them two mites a-going about the place together deep in love and the courage of the boy bless your soul he'd have throwed off his little hat and tucked up his little sleeves and gone in at a lion he would if they had happened to meet one and she had been frightened of him one day he stops along with her where boots was hoeing weeds in the gravel and says speaking up cobbs he says i like you do you sir i'm proud to hear it yes i do cobbs why do i like you do you think cobbs don't know master harry i'm sure because nora likes you cobbs indeed sir that's very gratifying gratifying cobbs it's better than millions of the brightest diamonds to be liked by nora certainly sir you're going away ain't you cobbs 
yes sir would you like another situation cobbs well sir i shouldn't object if it was a good un then cobbs says he you shall be our head gardener when we are married and he tucks her in her little sky-blue mantle under his arm and walks away boots could assure me that it was better than a picter and equal to a play to see them babies with their long bright curling hair their sparkling eyes and their beautiful light tread a ramblin about the garden deep in love boots was of opinion that the birds believed they was birds and kept up with em singin to please em sometimes they would creep under the tulip-tree and would sit there with their arms round one another's necks and their soft cheeks touching a reading about the prince and the dragon and the good and bad enchanters and the king's fair daughter sometimes he would hear them planning about having a house in a forest keeping bees and a cow and living entirely on milk and honey once he came upon them by the pond and heard master harry say adorable nora kiss me and say you love me to distraction or i'll jump in head foremost and boots made no question he would have done it if she hadn't complied on the whole boots said it had a tendency to make him feel as if he was in love himself only he didn't exactly know who with cobbs said master harry one evening when cobbs was watering the flowers i am going on a visit this present midsummer to my grandmamma's at york are you indeed sir i hope you'll have a pleasant time i am going into yorkshire myself when i leave here are you going to your grandmamma's cobbs no sir i haven't got such a thing not as a grandmamma cobbs no sir the boy looked on at the watering of the flowers for a little while and then said i shall be very glad indeed to go cobbs nora's going you'll be all right then sir said cobbs with your beautiful sweetheart by your side cobbs returned the boy flushing i never let anybody joke about it when i can prevent them it wasn't a joke sir says cobbs with humility wasn't so meant i am glad of that cobbs because i like you you know and you're going to live with us cobbs sir what do you think my grandmamma gives me when i go down there i couldn't so much as make a guess sir a bank of england five pound note cobbs whoo says cobbs that's a spanking sum of money master harry a person could do a good deal with such a sum of money as that couldn't a person cobbs i believe you sir cobbs said the boy i'll tell you a secret at nora's house they have been joking her about me and pretending to laugh at our being engaged pretending to make game of it cobbs such sir says cobbs is the depravity of human nature the boy looking exactly like his father stood for a few minutes with his glowing face towards the sunset and then departed with good-night cobbs i'm going in if i was to ask boots how it happened that he was a-going to leave that place just at that present time well he couldn't rightly answer me he did suppose he might have stayed there till now if he had been anyways inclined but you see he was younger then and he wanted change that's what he wanted change mr walmers he said to him when he gave him notice of his intentions to leave cobbs he says have you anything to complain of i make the inquiry because i find that any of my people really has anything to complain of i wish to make it right if i can 
no sir says cobbs thanking you sir i find myself as well situated here as i could hope to be anywheres the truth is sir that i'm a-going away to seek my fortune oh indeed cobbs he says i hope you may find it and boots could assure me which he did touching his hair with his boot-jack as a salute in the way of his present calling that he hadn't found it yet well sir boots left the elmses when his time was up and master harry he went down to the old ladies at york which old lady would have given that child the teeth out of her head if she had had any she was so wrapped up in him what does that infant do for infant you may call him and be within the mark but cut away from that old lady's with his nora on an expedition to go to gretna green and be married sir boots was at this identical holly-tree inn having left it several times since to better himself but always come back through one thing or another when one summer afternoon the coach drives up and out of the coach steps them two children the guard says to our governor i don't quite make out these little passengers but the young gentleman's words was that they was to be brought here the young gentleman gets out hands his lady out gives the guard something for himself says to our governor we're to stop here to-night please sitting-room and two bedrooms will be required chops and cherry pudding for two and tucks her in her little sky-blue mantle under his arm and walks into the house much bolder than brass boots leaves me to judge what the amazement of that establishment was when these two tiny creatures all alone by themselves was marched into the angel much more so when he who had seen them without their seeing him give the governor his views of the expedition they was upon cobbs says the governor if this is so i must set off myself to york and quiet their friends minds in which case you must keep your eye upon em and humour em till i come back but before i take these measures cobbs i should wish you to find from themselves whether your opinion is correct sir to you says cobbs that shall be done directly so boots goes upstairs to the angel and there he finds master harry on a enormous sofa immense at any time but looking like the great bed of ware compared with him a dry in the eyes of miss nora with his pocket handkerchief their little legs was entirely off the ground of course and it really is not possible for boots to express to me how small them children looked it's cobbs it's cobbs cried master harry and comes running to him and catching hold of his hand miss nora comes running to him on t'other side and catching hold of his t'other hand and they both jump for joy i see you a-getting out sir said cobbs i thought it was you i thought i couldn't be mistaken in your height and figure what's the object of your journey sir matrimonial we are going to be married cobbs at gretna green returned the boy we have run away on purpose nora has been in rather low spirits cobbs but she'll be happy now we have found you to be our friend thank you sir and thank you miss says cobbs for your good opinion did you bring any luggage with you sir if i will believe boots when he gives me his word and honour upon it the lady had got a parasol a smelling-bottle a round and half of cold buttered toast eight peppermint drops and a hair-brush seemingly a doll's the gentleman had got about half a dozen yards of string a knife three or four sheets of writing-paper folded up surprisingly small a orange and a chaney mug with his name upon it what may be the exact nature of your plan sir says cobbs 
to go on replied the boy which the courage of that boy was something wonderful in the morning and be married to-morrow just so sir says cobbs would it meet your views sir if i was to accompany you when cobbs said this they both jumped for joy again and cried out oh yes yes cobbs yes well sir says cobbs if you will excuse my having the freedom to give an opinion what i should recommend would be this i'm acquainted with a pony sir which put in a phaeton that i could borrow would take you and mrs harry walmers junior myself driving if you approved to the end of your journey in a very short space of time i am not altogether sure sir that this pony will be at liberty to-morrow but even if you had to wait over to-morrow for him it might be worth your while as to the small account here sir in case you was to find yourself running at all short that don't signify because i'm part a proprietor of this inn and it could stand over boots assures me that when they clapped their hands and jumped for joy again and called him good cobs and dear cobs and bent across him to kiss one another in the delight of their confiding hearts he felt himself the meanest rascal for deceiving em that ever was born is there anything you want just at present sir says cobbs mortally ashamed of himself we should like some cakes after dinner answered master harry folding his arms putting out one leg and looking straight at him and two apples and jam with dinner we should like to have toast and water but norah has always been accustomed to half a glass of currant wine at dessert and so have i it shall be ordered at the bar sir says cobbs and away he went boots has the feeling as fresh upon him at this minute of speaking as he had then that he would far rather have had it out in half a dozen rounds with the governor than have combined with him and that he wished with all his heart there was any impossible place where those two babies could make an impossible marriage and live impossibly happy ever afterwards however as it couldn't be he went into the governor's plans and the governor set off for york in half an hour the way in which the women of that house without exception every one of them married and single took to that boy when they heard the story boots considered surprising it was as much as he could do to keep him from dashing into the room and kissing him they climbed up all sorts of places at the risk of their lives to look at him through a pane of glass they was seven deep at the keyhole they was out of their minds about him and his bold spirit in the evening boots went into the room to see how the runaway couple was getting on the gentleman was on the window-seat supporting the lady in his arms she had tears upon her face and was lying very tired and half asleep with her head upon his shoulder mrs harry walmers junior fatigued sir says Scobbs yes she is tired cobbs but she is not used to be away from home and she has been in low spirits again cobbs do you think you could bring a biffin please i ask your pardon sir says cobbs what was it you i think a norfolk biffin would rouse her cobbs she is very fond of them boots withdrew in search of the required restorative and when he brought it in the gentleman handed it to the lady and fed her with a spoon and took a little himself the lady being heavy with sleep and rather cross what should you think sir says cobbs of a chamber candlestick the gentleman approved the chambermaid went first up the great staircase 
the lady in her sky-blue mantle followed gallantly escorted by the gentleman the gentleman embraced her at her door and retired to his own apartment where boots softly locked him up boots couldn't but feel with increased acuteness what a base deceiver he was when they consulted him at breakfast they had ordered sweet milk and water and toast and currant jelly overnight about the pony it really was as much as he could do he don't mind confessing to me to look them two young uns in the face and think what a wicked old father of lies he had grown to be howsomever he went on a lying like a trojan about the pony he told em that it did so unfortunately happen that the pony was half clipped you see and that he couldn't be taken out in that state for fear it should strike to his inside but that he'd be finished clipping in the course of the day and that to-morrow morning at eight o'clock the phaeton would be ready boots's view of the whole case looking back on it in my room is that mrs harry walmers junior was beginning to give in she hadn't had her hair curled when she went to bed and she didn't seem quite up to brushing it herself and it's getting in her eyes put her out but nothing put out master harry he sat behind his breakfast cup a tearing away at the jelly as if he had been his own father after breakfast boots is inclined to consider that they drawed soldiers at least he knows that many such was found in the fireplace all on horseback in the course of the morning master harry rang the bell it was surprising how that there boy did carry on and said in a sprightly way cobbs is there any good walks in this neighbourhood yes sir said cobbs there's love lane get out with you cobbs that was that there boy's expression you're joking begging your pardon sir said cobbs there really is love lane and a pleasant walk it is and proud shall i be to show it to yourself and mrs harry walmers junior nora dear said master harry this is curious we really ought to see love lane put on your bonnet my sweetest darling and we shall go there with cobbs boots leaves me to judge what a beast he felt himself to be when that young pair told him as they all three jogged along together that they had made up their minds to give him two thousand guineas a year as head gardener on accounts of his being so true a friend to em boots could have wished at the moment that the earth would have opened and swallowed him up he felt so mean with their beaming eyes a-looking at him and believing him well sir he turned the conversation as well as he could and he took em down love lane to the water meadow and there master harry would have drowned himself in half a minute more a getting out a water lily for her but nothing daunted that boy well sir they was tired out all being so new and strange to em they was tired as tired could be and they laid down on a bank of daisies like the children in the wood leastways meadows and fell asleep boots don't know perhaps i do but never mind it don't signify either way why it made a man fit to make a fool of himself to see them two pretty babies a-lying there in the clear still sunny day not dreamin half so hard when they was asleep as they done when they was awake but lord when you come to think o yourself you know and what a game you have been up to ever since you was in your own cradle and what a poor sort of a chap you are and how it's always either yesterday with you or else to-morrow and never to-day that's where it is well sir they woke up at last and then one thing was getting pretty clear to boots namely that mrs harry walmers junior's temper was on the move 
when master harry took her round the waist she said he teased her so and when he says nora my young may moon your harry tease you she says to him yes and i want to go home a biled fowl and baked bread and butter pudding brought mrs walmers up a little but boots could have wished he must privately own to me to have seen her more sensible of the voice of love and less abandoning of herself to currents however master harry he kept up and his noble heart was as fond as ever mrs walmers turned very sleepy about dusk and began to cry therefore mrs walmers went off to bed as per yesterday and master harry ditto repeated about eleven or twelve at night comes back the governor in a chaise along with mr walmers and a elderly lady mr walmers looks amused and very serious both at once and says to our missus we are much indebted to you ma'am for your kind care of our little children which we can never sufficiently acknowledge pray ma'am where is my boy our missus says cobbs has the dear child in charge sir cobbs show forty and then he says to cobbs ah cobbs i am glad to see you i understand you was here and cobbs says yes sir you're most obedient sir i may be surprised to hear boots say it perhaps but boots assures me that his heart beat like a hammer going upstairs i beg your pardon sir says he while unlocking the door i hope you are not angry with master harry for master harry is a fine boy sir and will do you credit and honour and boots signifies to me that if the fine boy's father had contradicted him in the daring state of mind in which he then was he thinks he should have fetched him a crack and taken the consequences but mr walmers only says no cobbs no my good fellow thank you and the door being opened goes in boots goes in too holding the light and he sees mr walmers go up to the bedside bend gently down and kiss the little sleeping face then he stands looking at it for a minute looking wonderfully like it they do say he ran away with mrs walmers and then he gently shakes the little shoulder harry my dear boy harry master harry starts up and looks at him looks at cobbs too such is the honour of that might that he looks at cobbs to see whether he has brought him into trouble i am not angry my child i only want you to dress yourself and come home yes pa master harry dresses himself quickly his breast begins to swell when he has nearly finished and it swells more and more as he stands at last a-looking at his father his father standing a-looking at him the quiet image of him please may i the spirit of that little creature and the way he kept his rising tears down please dear pa may i kiss nora before i go you may my child so he takes master harry in his hand and boots leads the way with the candle and they come to that other bedroom where the elderly lady is seated by the bed and poor little mrs harry walmers junior is fast asleep there the father lifts the child up to the pillow and he lays his little face down for an instant by the little warm face of poor unconscious little mrs harry walmers junior and gently draws it to him a sight so touching to the chambermaids who are peeping through the door that one of them calls out it's a shame to part em but this chambermaid was always as boots informs me a soft-hearted one not that there was any harm in that girl far from it finally boots says that's all about it 
mr walmers drove away in the chaise having hold of master harry's hand the elderly lady and mrs harry walmers junior that was never to be she married a captain long afterwards and died in india went off next day in conclusion boots put it to me whether i hold with him in two opinions firstly that there are not many couples on their way to be married who are half as innocent of guile as those two children secondly that it would be a jolly good thing for a great many couples on their way to be married if they could only be stopped in time and brought back separately end of second branch third branch the bill i had been snowed up a whole week the time had hung so lightly on my hands that i should have been in great doubt of the fact but for a piece of documentary evidence that lay upon my table the road had been dug out of the snow on the previous day and the document in question was my bill it testified emphatically to my having eaten and drunk and warmed myself and slept among the sheltering branches of the holly tree seven days and nights i had yesterday allowed the road twenty-four hours to improve itself finding that i required that additional margin of time for the completion of my task i had ordered my bill to be upon the table and a chaise to be at the door at eight o'clock to-morrow evening it was eight o'clock to-morrow evening when i buckled up my travelling writing-desk in its leather case paid my bill and got on my warm coats and wrappers of course no time now remained for my travelling on to add a frozen tear to the icicles which were doubtless hanging plentifully about the farmhouse where i had first seen angela what i had to do was to get across to liverpool by the shortest open road there to meet my heavy baggage and embark it was quite enough to do and i had not an hour too much time to do it in i had taken leave of all my holly tree friends almost for the time being of my bashfulness too and was standing for half a minute at the inn door watching the ostler as he took another turn at the cord which tied my portmanteau on the chaise when i saw lamps coming down towards the holly tree the road was so padded with snow that no wheels were audible but all of us who were standing at the inn door saw lamps coming on and at a lively rate too between the walls of snow that had been heaped up on either side of the track the chambermaid instantly divined how the case stood and called to the ostler tom this is a gretna job the ostler knowing that her sex instinctively scented a marriage or anything in that direction rushed up to the yard bawling next four out and in a moment the whole establishment was thrown into commotion i had a melancholy interest in seeing the happy man who loved and was beloved and therefore instead of driving off at once i remained at the inn door when the fugitives drove up a bright-eyed fellow muffled in a mantle jumped out so briskly that he almost overthrew me he turned to apologize and by heaven it was edwin charlie said he recoiling gracious powers what do you do here edwin said i recoiling gracious power what do you do here i struck my forehead as i said it and an insupportable blaze of light seemed to shoot before my eyes he hurried me into the little parlour always kept with a slow fire in it and no poker where posting company waited while their horses were putting to and shutting the door said charlie forgive me edwin i returned was this well 
when i loved her so dearly when i had garnered up my heart so long i could say no more he was shocked when he saw how moved i was and made the cruel observation that he had not thought i should have taken it so much to heart i looked at him i reproached him no more but i looked at him my dear dear charlie said he don't think ill of me i beseech you i know you have a right to my inmost confidence and believe me you have ever had it until now i abhor secrecy its meanness is intolerable to me but i and my dear girl have observed it for your sake he and his dear girl it steeled me you have observed it for my sake sir said i wondering how his frank face could face it out so yes and angela's said he i found the room reeling round in an uncertain way like a labouring humming-top explain yourself said i holding on by one hand to an armchair dear old darling charlie returned edwin in his cordial manner consider when you were going on so happily with angela why should i compromise you with the old gentleman by making you a party to our engagement and after he had declined my proposals to our secret intention surely it was better that you should be able honourably to say he never took counsel with me never told me never breathed a word of it if angela suspected it and showed me all the favour and support she could god bless her for a precious creature and a priceless wife i couldn't help that neither i nor emmeline ever told her any more than we told you and for the same good reason charlie trust me for the same good reason and no other upon earth emmeline was angela's cousin lived with her had been brought up with her was her father's ward had property emmeline is in the chaise my dear edwin said i embracing him with the greatest affection my good fellow said he do you suppose i should be going to gretna green without her i ran out with edwin i opened the chaise door i took emmeline in my arms i folded her to my heart she was wrapped in soft white fur like the snowy landscape but was warm and young and lovely i put their leaders too with my own hands i gave the boys a five-pound note apiece i cheered them as they drove away i drove the other way myself as hard as i could pelt i never went to liverpool i never went to america i went straight back to london and i married angela i have never until this time even to her disclosed the secret of my character and the mistrust and the mistaken journey into which it led me when she and they and our eight children and their seven i mean edwin's and emmeline's whose eldest girl is old enough now to wear white for herself and to look very like her mother in it come to read these pages as of course they will i shall hardly fail to be found out at last never mind i can bear it i began at the holly tree by idle accident to associate the christmas time of year with human interest and with some inquiry into and some care for the lives of those by whom i find myself surrounded i hope that i am none the worse for it and that no one near me or afar off is the worse for it and i say may the green holly tree flourish striking its roots deep into our english ground and having its germinating qualities carried by the birds of heaven all over the world end of story eight part two